So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast, and unfortunately, we have to start off this episode in a bit more of a sombre note. Uh, New Zealand and the world were rocked by the tragedy in the mosque in Christchurch on Friday. Obviously, all of us here were really saddened to hear this, and though we're still going to be going through and discussing what happened in the rugby, we do understand that this is really of minimal significance in light of the tragedy. We do want to say there was obviously a huge deal of strength shown by those Kiwi players, especially the Canes and Chiefs who still took the field on Friday. But the solidarity shown by all players uh, on and off the field in the Super Rugby this weekend was inspiring. The Crusaders and Highlanders game was cancelled with each team receiving two points rather than taking the field. And there have even been calls from members of the public for the Crusaders to consider changing their name. Boys, do you have any comment on that? I mean, I, I don't think we need to go that far, but I can understand in light of the mood at the moment that all these things are being considered because, you know, we want to be acting appropriately and making changes to, to things that are important. So I can understand people being calling for this, but uh, from my perspective, I don't think that the Crusaders' name needs to be adjusted. I think it's um, it's not in the context that people are kind of making it out to be, so... In some ways, I think, you know, it's fair to have that discussion, but leave it as is. It's it's a good name, and it um, has a lot of history behind it, so I think that it needs to stay put. Yeah, I agree. Um, the only thing I think people might uh, pick up on in coming weeks when they get back to playing at home is the the Crusader mascot and the visibility of that character and, and any of the kind of the set piece around, around them on the sidelines, and maybe the Crusaders will seek to modernise or... Um, sort of change the the look of that gradually to to make sure that people aren't feeling like it's too attached to, you know, the Christian Crusades or something, which is, I think, the point people are trying to make over the weekend. Mm, uh, Definitely fair. But, yeah, I for one agree. I don't think the Crusaders' name should be a target for this, Um, especially for a team that really brings most a lot of people, especially in Christchurch, together and brings them together to celebrate something like that. Rather than dwell on that, let's look at the positives, and there were plenty this weekend anyway, um, but we'll start with our standout performers of the weekend. Leo, do you want to start us off? Yeah, look, I thought the, the Reds were particularly impressive this weekend. They they fought back uh, against the Sunwolves in Tokyo, and they had a remodeled back line with Isaac Lucas at 10, and Amy Stewart falling back to 15, and I actually thought... Uh, that worked really well, and my player of the round is Hamish Stewart, um, not just for his uh, solid kicking game, which obviously did a lot, did a lot for the team and mm. kept them in the game and got them got them ahead eventually. But just his movement around the field, um, you know, without Bryce Hegarty there, he and with Isaac Lucas sort of on debut might have uh, felt the need to get more involved to make sure he was supporting his teammates a bit better. But um, look, I think he injected himself just enough. He was steady, 
Uh, he made good decisions, and he and he again he kicked well in general play and and from the place. So um, really mature game from him. And as a whole, really really good to see the Reds get a their first win of the season uh, in a challenging circumstance. Yeah, definitely. I was impressed with his like early on, both him and Isaac Lucas. I think were a bit too stationary and just shoveling the ball on, but. Once they started taking the space and really making some runs and having a bit of confidence in themselves, it really showed throughout the the whole team that they can turn that around. Toby, what about you, mate? Mate, it was a pretty easy one for me. Falau Fangas really had a standout game, scored a couple of tries. That makes it six tries in five games for him, and he's leading the competition. Um, So he's doing everything right at the moment, really solid at the back of that mall, and the Brumbies are rolling, and it's good to see. So... I think he's a, been a big part of, of their, their forward pack for the last couple of years, and I think that if he continues to play like this, he could maybe even nail down that Wallaby spot. Um, but, yeah, look, they they had 17 lineouts in this game. They only lost one, and, you know, he really didn't put a foot wrong. So that, that's my play for the round. Falafang has obviously got combinations set with Scott Seo and Alatoa, so um, that's that's in his favour if, if that front row group, uh, scrummage well. And Slipper, of course. Um, yep, he's off the bench now, but scrums, his set-piece work, you know, his line-out throwing, all that's pretty solid. Yeah, that'll definitely help his case, and I think the Brumbies scrum and line-out are just two positives because for too long we've sort of seen with, um, hookers being put in that aren't able to consistently throw line-outs or win in scrum, so you definitely want to push that sort of ahead of even some of the other skills that other people may have. For myself, yeah. I, I stayed in the same game, Tobes. I po- chose Lockie McCaffrey. Uh, guy is continuing to work hard every single game. Rested last week, and I think he makes almost as much difference to this forward pack as having David Pocock on the field. Like His carries and defense are pretty inspiring, but he's he sort of reminds me a little bit of um, uh, Higginbotham from back in his earlier days. Happy to take the ball himself, run, put in some kicks. Um, doesn't seem to do quite as many sort of silly things and give away as many silly penalties as what Higginbotham does. But McCaffrey, really good in this. And I think really one of the things that kept that Brumbies pack going forward and stopped the Tars gaining sort of any momentum. I know, I agree. And I think Lockie McCaffrey, even though I don't think he was called into that Wallabies. No, he wasn't meeting so I think it's one of those guys that you think probably should be in there and in the mix pretty firmly but maybe isn't quite there yet but I think you know he's like a Higginbotham without the errors in his game mm. um, and some of the silly decisions so he's got a big body he can carry the ball um, and he's really putting some games together so for a guy that's really he's been around nearly 10 years now played across four or five different teams in northern and southern hemisphere so he's got a lot of experience and I think you know what, if he's in form, you'd probably pick him at number eight at the moment. If not, you know, I see, you see Nicerani. So I think it's really good Good to see someone that's put in the work and hopefully we'll get some rewards soon. And hopefully he stays healthy. He usually goes down once or twice a game with a pretty grim look on his face and he always pulls up and pulls up well, his socks like and gets going again. But yeah, like he that's, was grabbing his knee and right. I was like, oh, damn, he's, another one's gone. But yeah. yeah, no, it's good to see he's all right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and if he, he doesn't have any competition at number eight now, so at least he can play every week, start every game if he if he's healthy. Yeah, definitely. 
Well, let's start with that Brumbies game as we get in our recap anyway. So Brumbies versus Waratahs Friday night down the GIO Stadium and the final score of 19-13. to 13. Um, Brumbies taking this one to win. So a few late changes to the Tars backline that we so liked with Carmichael ruled out with a hamstring strain. So them reverting back to their normal sort of line with um, Beal at 12 and Falau at fullback. But it was three tries to two and... Probably one of the biggest points, talking points, is Foley's continuing to have these subpar performances, both with the boot kicking only one from four in this game, but just not really having a big impact on the game either. Yeah, I think Christian's really showing him up a little bit at the moment, and that Waratah's attack is just going too lateral. They're just shifting the ball from left to right, and they're not running straight, and I think they're playing too deep. Um, and that's really the opposite of what the Rebels do at the moment. They're playing very flat close to the line, and it gives the playmakers less time, but it also allows you to punch through those gaps probably a bit more easily, and the Waratahs at the moment, just they just don't look like they're playing with the intensity they need to, and although this back line, you know, when I saw it named, I thought, you know, they can really put some points on the Brumbies, the, the Brumbies really took it to them, and it's just disappointing, I think the Waratahs do have the players, they're just, yeah, they're not putting it together at the moment. Yeah, and they, they didn't actually start the game too badly. I'm still seeing, like you're saying, it's a disjointed backline play, um, passes going to ground or or people running a line and pass going to the kind of the alternate line. And, um, and I think maybe the lack of success in the first half, lack of penetration, Brumby's just grounded out and had all the run of play in the second half. But Waratah's worked really hard in back and the Brumbies held them out and that would have been really frustrating, you know, that... They threw the ball almost twice as many times. They they did. They had an extra forty carries. They they just couldn't penetrate, and that's when guys like Curly Beal start, you know, trying to go one out and inject themselves a bit more, and and it doesn't always work. Um, I think the forwards matched up reasonably well, mm. but um, it was really it still just is this backline. I just don't understand how the Waratahs can bring together such a group of quality players. And, and achieve so little with them. I think the issue you're seeing that with the Wallabies as well. Like that's the way the Wallabies were playing when they're it's unsuccessful. It's the same guys. I know it is, but I mean there are other guys obviously there. But it's it's Beal and it's Foley, and they're not playing direct enough, and they're not running straight. Like Foley is at his best when he takes the ball to the line with confidence and punches through and just you know little offloads, death passes. But he's not doing that. Mm. He just looks like he's out of form and. I don't know, what do you do? Do you give him a rest? Do you just keep playing him, hope he comes good? I don't know. It's just at the moment, it seems like we're just seeing the same thing over and over and they're not doing it well. Like, just, yeah, I'm not sure what they can do. It doesn't seem to be any improvement week to week. Like, not not in terms of, like, um, like 80 minutes. You think, no, no, they've definitely worked on this this last week and, and they managed to get it clicking again. But the, it's just so frustrating to see that 10-12 supposedly, you know, great combination, Wallaby's combination, and and they're achieving so from it. And, oh, yeah, I was really disappointed when I heard Carmichael Hunt was ruled out. I, I thought that was uh, – I stuck with my Waratahs tip, but I think I narrowed the margin a fair bit, and, um, yeah, obviously it was still wrong. Yeah, I think Carmichael's instrumental to that back line now. I think actually that's – you know, defensively, obviously, you need him there, and it really helps, but I think KB – you know, having him at 12 with Foley at 10, I'm not sure that's going to be the combination this year at the World Cup if they continue to perform like this. I think maybe Bill needs some more space and 
we need maybe two more ab- abrasive physical centres um, mm-hmm. there like a lot of these other international teams are doing. Well, that's right. Every other international team and pretty much every other super team has always gone now to that bigger inside centre role, um, including the Waratahs with the ideal lineup being with Carmichael. So is that just a bit of a hint that that's the way sort of the world is moving? Even even the English have moved away from having Farrell and Ford, isn't that 10-12, and gone to a bigger runner like Tuolangi? Yeah, I think they're almost where we're kind of stuck in 2015 with the the Waratahs and the Wallabies at the moment, I think we haven't moved on, and it's an issue. And we still seem to be relying on um, territory, or, but though we're not actually picking that well in general play either. So I think that's still a feature of an older game. Like teams, teams are showing, particularly actually on the weekend with the Six Nations, teams are showing that it's about keeping the ball in hand and playing up to 12, 15 phases where you have to. The Waratahs get to about the fourth or fifth phase and kick the ball away like they've run out of ideas. So um, that's frustrating when you when you think, no, no you need a ball to score. You, you're in around halfway of the field, but you're just going to dump it downfield and put in a lacklustre chase. Like, what mm. was the plan? Were you even all talking about what was going to happen or if someone just made that decision one out to boot the ball back and try and pressure mm. with no, no support? I think Adam Ashley Cooper as well looks very flat. He carried the ball three times in this game for seven metres in 64 minutes. Like, if you're outside centres doing that, that's pretty pathetic when the Waratahs had 60% of the ball in the first half and yet your outside centre is not touching the ball enough. He's not making those runs. So, mm. I don't know. There's there's quite a few problems for them to work out. They've got, they've got the players there, so there's not really any excuses. It's just, you know, I think... It's it's to do with maybe the coaching. I don't know if if unless the Waratahs guys are in there just doing what they want to do, and you know if this is a game plan and they're doing it over and over again, I can't see how they think it's going to work. So, well, Tara Gibson rarely unless his players. He just sort of says, "Oh, you know, unlucky here and disappointing there, and we'll work on this." And I've never I've never really understood the fascination with Gibson. I know he was around for 2014, and, and you know he had some good patches, but I don't think he's really. I don't feel like he imparts that much to this team, especially when he's like the his specialized sort of area is the is the backs and attacks. Yeah. So like, that's that's probably the worst bit of the Waratahs when the forwards actually get some momentum. We still get clogged up around ten, twelve, and and you know more passes to forwards, and and you know Ashley Cooper doesn't get the ball at thirteen because we really make make the ball go laterally as we run straight. And give him opportunities where he's uh, setting up his outside men. Mm. I think that the Waratahs, their attacking game is their strength. So if they're not playing well in that area, there's so many other areas that they lack in. So mm. it's just almost yeah. impossible for them sure to win. Like, yeah. When they're firing and attacking wise, they can score 30 points and beat a lot of teams that way and still leak points. But you know, if you're scoring 10 to 15 points um, and just running sideways the whole time, yeah, it's 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 not good to watch either. It's it's not going to bring the fans in. So I'm hoping they can make some changes to that. Yeah, you would think whether that is time to arrest Foley and use Mac Mason or Beale. And I mean, scrums were also an issue for the Tars, though they improved when um, Tadafupalon now came on. So whether he needs to start as well. Mm. I think give Mac a go for sure. I think give him a go, put Beale back to fullback and hopefully Carmichael's back and... You know, it's Crusaders next week, so what do you do? Like, it's hard to make that call, but 
I think you've just you got to kind of persist at the think. moment, but yeah, you need to rest at some point. And then on the Brumby side of the ball, the one concern they might have from this that other than a good all-round performance, but two yellow cards for the Tars, and they weren't able to actually capitalize and take any points with the extra man on the field. Yeah, they certainly were um, struggling there. And it's it was odd because they were playing playing straight again, like they had in that that round two game where they were looking much stronger. They they straightened everything up. Their their attack from the forwards was really good. They were rolling the ball. Um, how they didn't penetrate, it's not really the Waratahs. It's a bit of Waratahs defence, probably pretty desperate defence. But but it's just it's still I just don't see that attacking flair consistently. Um, but their forwards can sort of roll it, and and that's probably their best feature when they are just trying to grind it out to keep it in the forwards. I think they need to not be too worried about how they're getting the metres. If they get that forward momentum for a few phases, then go and try and lock the backs. Don't just assume, oh, we're going to go two, three forward phases, then into the backs. Like, you really just roll what's working. Mm. And, well, roll roll your strength until it really starts working, especially against 13 men. It's, it's, a, it's a game of suffocation if they're lifting because they've got to defend fewer players. You've just got to... You've just got to grind them into the ground until it all just falls apart, and then you chuck it out in the backs and mm-hmm. let them work their magic. Let some like banks just scoot through um, in open space. Is it is it weird for anyone else that Pete Samu is like continually on the bench? Yeah, and he can't even get a number seven spot from Tom Cusack. Like that seems very strange to me. I don't know. He must not be impressing the coach that much because at the Crusaders he was starting. He's come into the Wallabies. You know he's been a consistent player, and now he can't even seem to get a starting role. Um, I don't, it baffles me a little bit. He was he wasn't starting every week, week in, week out with the Crusaders. He was sort of on a bit of a rotation with them, but it is strange with the injuries and things that he still remains not a starter because he does seem to have yeah. a positive impact on the game when he comes on. And yeah, wh- whether they just like him for twenty minutes and they don't they don't trust him for the full sixty or something, I'm not sure. Well, you'd probably think, Possibly I mean, I don't, I don't know when Pocock's back, but now that Valentini's gone, which is, a, you know, that's a massive shame, obviously, but they're lucky that they've got quite a few of these back rowers playing well and they've got the quality there, but Valentini, I don't think we'll see him for the rest of the season. Super Rugby, right, he's, he's going to be gone for, for a little while. Um, but, yeah, Samu probably would go to seven if Pocock's not back and then you put Cusack at six so they can fill a couple of those holes, but, you know... Brumbies don't have a whole lot of depth overall, so you'd hope they don't have too many more injuries. I'm just checking if uh, we have any update on Valentini's injury because it did look fairly significant, like that bad knee of his that he's injured a few times. Is that the one where the kneecap moved a lot? Or it was like floating, they said. I think they said someone mentioned that it was floating, but then he was on crutches, you know, just Mm. after the game and moving around. So he may... It's often if it's really serious, they get out of there and they get taken care of. But maybe it wasn't as bad as people were speculating. Yeah, well, the only thing out is McKellar just hoping that it's not as serious as it sounded like. So I think there's, mm. they'd still be waiting on from some scans and things to come back for that. Yeah. But as you said, things not really getting easier for the <laughs> Waratahs heading up to take on the Crusaders next week, which is a tough one. Whereas the Brumbies are heading up to Queensland. Uh, to take on the Reds, so um, a good sort of momentum boost for the Brumbies ahead of that, you'd think. So next up, uh, and it was that Sunwolves-Red game that 
Leo mentioned earlier, so the final score of 31-34 to 34 for the Reds, but there's definitely swings in this with the Sunwolves coming out and scoring three tries pretty quickly and getting out ahead, and then the Reds starting to charge back. And I mean, it was, as we said, it was initially looked like the Reds had been stunned a little bit and then were just coerced into playing the Sunwolves game and took them to the second half to sort of shake themselves out and get back to their normal game plan. But it is a good sign that, again, we, we talk about Brad Thorne as a coach and what he's trying to communicate to these players and, and turn them into as a unit. And it's obviously a unit that's that's never feeling like they're completely out of the game. Definitely keep their heads focused even when things are going wrong. You see plenty of teams just capitulate and, and play it out. Um, this red side isn't like that, which is really, really um, promising to see. They had a lot of good opportunities but they squandered them the Wolves with this each week it seems like they're adding more and more new talented players um, it's starting to look like a really well-rounded squad um, we had Sal Markey back on the wing and you got Amanaki Murphy coming off the uh, bench like all these these powerful players and they had a big impact and the Reds just managed to hold them back um, bide their time and then eventually they got their attack in the gear there they were coming coming back from the dead and, and um, winning pretty much every every um, facet of the game, kicking well, dominating rucks, dominating scrums. I think it really changed in that 15 minutes after half time. Obviously, the Sunwolves were ahead, but then after that, they sort of slowed everything down. They really kept it through the forwards. Had some good sort of carries through Higginbotham and. Lucan Salakai Alotto was massive in this and just all over the place, as well as Angus Scott Young, handsome Scott Young there as well. Higginbotham's, Higginbotham's try-saving tackle, or admittedly the some scored soon after, but just just that like that's impressive, not just as a feat of strength, but like the will to to drag someone back from basically hanging over the line. Mm. Um, like that's that's kind of that's the. That's one of those moments where you see in the game that's really inspiring, and the guys, you know, would see that and just you know lift around him to to all pick up and, and pull off feats like that. Like that was just so impressive. You never see that. Yeah, it's a win really that the Reds need. Obviously, they're first of the year, and the Sunwolves aren't easy to beat at all at the moment. And playing, you know, playing at home, I thought that they would get this one. It's surprising to me um, that it was this close. I actually thought that. The team they'd named has a... I feel like the Sunwolves just have so many different players in their squad. Like, it feels like every week you see a bunch of new guys coming in. This week you had Jamie Booth coming in. Um, he used to be at the Hurricanes. Um, there's so much New Zealand talent flowing into that team now. And it'd be a real shame, I think, if they... For example, if they got cut for next year. Mm. You know, this is where... I feel like they're just coming into their own now a little bit. And obviously they've got plenty of fans there. You see the stadium's full, so... It seems like unfortunate if, if they were to pick up maybe a few more wins and have their best season ever and then they're suddenly gone because that's what's speculated at the moment. Um, but, yeah, Reds really needed this, obviously, and hopefully this can now, I guess, point them in the right direction for the you know the remainder of the season because they had a pretty tough run there at the start. They need to be scoring points, and they did that in this game, so that's good to see. Do you think this is the right combination with Lucas at 10 and... Um, having Hamish Stewart at the back there. One of them does need to learn how to kick, like kick in general play, because yeah. like, it's just minimal territory that they're biting off with any of those kicks. 
I get the feeling that maybe Lucas will stay there and maybe even Stewart could potentially drop out for um, Egerty, yeah. So you got Dalgunu there waiting in the wings again. There's plenty of outside backs that they have at their disposal. So you wonder whether you would have Hegarty come back in as that veteran directing play around it. I just don't want to see him acting as the fly half because I think Isaac Lucas has a history of playing 10. He's a really exciting, dynamic player. I feel like that's just what the Reds need. Like They don't really need a defensive number 10 that's a little bit more, I guess, I don't know, less creative in what they do and just shoveling, shuffling the ball on like Stewart does. Um, I know that obviously it helps with his defense, but Lucas seems to tackle guys twice his size with relative ease. Like He just kind of gets in there. He's mm. a no-nonsense player. He's not intimidated. And it is a bit like having a Damian McKenzie in your team. So I really like him there at 10, and I think he deserves few more opportunities at least. I'm glad you mentioned Filippo Dalgunu. I've been trying to make sure I see the guy in the past couple of weeks and he finally gets on here at the end and takes the ball off the kickoff and makes a 30 metres immediately and has a massive impact exactly when the Reds need it at the end of the game. Uh, hopefully the Thorn might reward that and do what we're hoping and bring in Karevi and Fowey Sorte into the centres so Dalgunu can slot there on the wing. Yeah, I that's a good that's tactic. A good choice. Yeah. Because Duncan Power still just isn't lighting anything up. Like I think he probably needs some time to to work on what his what his style of game is. He's, he's just he's just moving the ball on through the hands, or you know when he runs it, he's he's not coming at it hard with with a straight line. Like he should be he should be coming in underneath the the pen and and cutting an interesting line. Like not just not just running straight into whoever's standing in front of you. Just, just isn't giving the Reds anything there. I'd much rather see Karevi get the ball earlier and give Fawai Sotia maybe a few more carries at 13 as well. It's probably just well, to whether um, Fawai Sotia can, can handle the the defensive pressures of 13, really. Here's, a, here's another start with Duncan. Nine runs, 13 metres, one offload. Yeah. Like, that's, yeah. you know... I mean, I feel a bit bad for him because he did... His form was really good until he played for the Wallabies against the Barbarians... When was that, 2017 maybe, mm. end of 2017, before they went on tour. And he got that start at 10, and people were pumping his tyres. And then after that performance, Checker left him out of any Wallabies squads going forward, didn't even talk to him after that game. Pretty much he's out in the wilderness again. And from then on, he's lost his confidence, and he's lost a lot of that form that he had. So that's now coming up a year and a half, and... I don't think he's the same player that he was back in 2017 when we were quite impressed with him. So I, don't know, I think he's lost his way a little bit, but I think based on his performances at the moment, he probably doesn't justify being in the starting 15. No, and whether that is partly because he is looking ahead and having signed overseas um, after next for next year, um, whether he's looking towards the end of his time in the Reds. There seems to be mm-hmm. keep keeping uh, these points coming up that People are talking now about Brad Thorne potentially being uh, the successor and a potential Wallabies head coach. I just wanted to hear what you boys think about that because there's a guy that's won minimal games, has shown sort of a lot of promise with his system and bringing players up, but still has yet to taste a lot of success. Give him five, ten years with the Reds. How can you have such an inexperienced coach coming in to coach the Wallabies? Like... That's why there hasn't been anyone to succeed Checker at the moment because there's not a lot of guys out there that are actually up to it. And to suggest that someone's been coaching for about a year, 
and has maybe three wins under his belt or something like that. It's, it's getting a bit ridiculous when we're talking like that. Like, I know he's a good man motivator. I know he has a good, you know, he sets the tone around a team, but maybe as an assistant, a Ford's coach or, you know, someone to come in like that, but I, not as a head coach. I agree. It doesn't have to be so black and white. If, if you think Brad Thorne brings something to a team, the Wallabies can bring him in you know, a session here or there, not as an even an assistant or obviously as a head coach. Consultant. Just, just as, yeah, like, well, basically, because your, your four super rugby coaches should all be pretty influential on all players in, the, in their teams. And there's no reason why you can't bring them in here and there into the national system just to just to bring something special and, and share what they're doing with their super team. I think it's really good now that, um, as much as I don't think Daryl Gibson's particularly exciting, but at least all the Super Rugby coaches seem to be locked up for at least a couple of years uh, after the World Cup. So they're all going to get a chance to cut their teeth well into the next World Cup cycle. Um, we're going to find out who's actually got it and who doesn't, uh, who can develop new players after the World Cup exodus and, and who's just, you know, a bit of a... a, bit of a um, facade for, for coaching and, and none of these guys should be getting considered as a Wallabies coach. They should be looking at someone who's done something with another national side mm. or, you know, over in Europe won premierships or, a, you know, so, so there's other people and Brad Thorne isn't that person. Not to say he doesn't bring something to the table, but it's not not a full out head coaching um, role that, that would suit him next year. I think the only person I would consider at the moment would, you know, as an outsider would be Dave Vessels, but I still think yeah, it's but... probably too early in his career. And yeah. I think yeah, the so. only, if you look at the coaches across the four teams at the moment, it's probably only Daryl Gibson that's really at risk at losing his job maybe for next year if the Waratahs aren't performing because I think McKelly, you've seen a real change in him. He seems to be a lot more confident around what he's trying to do and they have a bit more direction there at the Brumbies. Vessels obviously has been successful and I think Thorne just needs some more time with those young guys so um, yeah I mean who knows with what's going to happen with the Wallabies next year but yeah to say Brad Thorne's in the mix that's just yeah it's a bit ridiculous yeah yeah my- you look at the war chest the war chest on players versus what the other three had then definitely Daryl Gibson's the one under pressure yeah yeah let's keep moving and we'll go to the Lions Rebels game and this was early on Sunday morning um, and another high-scoring one, only decided by three points again. The Lions winning this by penalty after the full-time buzzer, thirty-six to thirty-three. But it was it was all Rebels to start with, um, despite a limited preparation and the long travel. They came out and they really started to show their attacking prowess. Quade was all in everything. Um, tries early to people like Meeks taking intercepts. Quade winning one himself and Hodge getting one on the wing, but. The same way they started making errors and a very lopsided penalty count, 20 penalties against the Rebels to one against the Lions. And possession and territory followed that sort of lopsidedness, 70% of possession to the Lions and 75% of territory. And was it that yellow card by to Bill Meeks at the 47th minute mark that changed the game? Because before mm. that, I think the Lions really weren't in it that, that much in the first half, so... I don't know, it's just amazing they could swing it back in their favour. And I think you'd have to think maybe that the the Rebels were a little tired and it's a lot harder in the back end of that game at altitude to really put in, you know, the energy like you would in in the first half. So maybe they they went too hard too early and they didn't have enough in the tank. 
Well, the Lions did score three tries in that sort of 10-minute period after Meeks went off. Mm. The the Rebels, like they were, they were really good in the first half. Um, they did definitely make the most of their opportunities, like the, the Rebels. Like they did they did turn over and quickly rush down the other end of the field through some really great offloading and support play. Guys like Anaro Rangi um, popping ridiculous offloads as he's getting tackled and you know, having enough guys there to support it all the way for about 90 metres. Um, I think the Lions, not only that yellow card, but the injection of Mapo and, and Coetzee off the bench, those guys brought heaps of energy and they were involved in almost every phase, at least one of them. Quaid, Quaid shouldn't have let that try, you know, to Marpo. No, 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 that, and that, and that was... That's, but that changed the game as well, like, there you go, That's that's five points that... They probably shouldn't have had because Quaid was being a little bit lazy. Um, and you're well, right, Leo. Like Apu and the guys like that that just keep going and keep going and keep going. And yeah. he got his pay for that. So, the thing I thought is, oh, Quaid, how could you let that happen? But how about the other 14 guys who were screaming at him that's coming right on his tail? If you're just yeah. trying to shepherd the ball over the line, which he was, um, and no one's telling him that it's someone's right on his back, mm-hmm. that's a bit of a failing too. So, disappointing from Quaid, but. You know he's got his the, the systems are in place there that you should be letting him know if someone's coming if he's under pressure, and obviously that that message didn't get through. There's so many supporters in that stadium it was too noisy. But yeah. still, I mean, good to see from the rebels, right? Like, you know, you go to Johannesburg to a team that's been a three-time grand finalist. I know they're not the team that they they once were, but to go in there and only lose by three points after having a pretty hot start. I think it's still a good effort. I don't think that, you know, they can be... They'd be disappointed, but I think they've taken so many leaps forward this year, and I think it's... On another day, they probably would have won this game. It's just they, they didn't have enough energy at the end of the game, and there was those yellow cards in there didn't help. But, you know, I think the Rebels are, are really impressive at the moment. And Wessel's biggest challenge might be just reinforcing that they're doing so many things right, not to... Not the, drop their heads and, and see this as a, a failed game because really it was a couple of critical moments like when um, my post scored past Quaid and, and a couple of other defensive lapses where um, they just managed to have the have the Lions running into open space as they were fatiguing. Um, they did a lot of things right and kept themselves in the game. I think they really benefited from having Reese Hodge in his boot back and put a couple of pretty decent territory gainers up the field. Um, and not, you know, have Egon seconds on the whistle every week. Uh, seemed like every time. Yeah, exactly. Um, we like we we the rebels would kill the ball in the ruck and it'd be a penalty to the lions. The lions would kill the ball in the ruck and it'd be a, a scrum to the rebels moving forward sort of thing. Like the short arm penalties for the lions and long arms for the rebels. It's it seemed very consistent and I don't know. I I'm not a master of scrums. But it didn't feel like it was representative of what was actually happening. I mean, Egon, let's be honest, Egon Seconds is the worst referee in Super Rugby. It's pretty clear. Every time he seems to get the whistle, he just <laughs> makes some strange, strange calls and doesn't seem to be in control of the game either. Like, he always seems like he's, you know, he's being firm with things, but it's like he's second-guessing himself a lot of the time and you just don't feel at ease when he's, when he's in control. So, I mean, look, Rebels, 30% possession. They've had total of... 37 rucks in the game. It's pretty hard to win a game in that position and to score 33 points with that little ball. It's pretty impressive in itself, I would say. Yeah, true. And in the end, they come away with a bonus point, um, which is something that they can be 
happy with. Um, they obviously would have liked a few more points in this one, but if they can put in that performance again next week versus Sharks, then you'd, you'd think they'd be able to take away a win from this tour. It's pretty crazy, though. I'm looking at the table now. The Rebels have 13 points, and the Waratahs still have 10. Like, it just seems wrong that they're actually that close. It doesn't mm. feel like... It feels like the Waratahs are miles behind them, but they're still hanging around. So it's a funny conference system. It kind of helps teams like the Waratahs that are a little bit up and down. But, yeah, I think it's... um. Rebels, I think, keep watching them. I think next week's going to be a tough game again. Um, but I'll back them. I think that they've got the systems in place and they, they seem like they're all on the same page. I think it's going to be a really good season for them. So all good signs. And Lions, you think they're still gone or do you reckon they're going to make another break and suddenly pop back at, up to the top of this conference? I don't know. Again, they're tied with the Bulls at the top of their their South African conference so again you can't really rule them out completely I don't think that they will I think they could make the finals I would say that that's a possibility but I don't think they'll get too far within those finals so I don't think you can write them off but yeah they're probably a team that's going to be winning you know 70% of their games whereas before they were really one of the top teams and I don't think they're in that position anymore Let's keep moving on and some of the other games and the first game of the round with the Chiefs and Hurricanes on Friday night and the first draw of the season was 23-all and we thought this was all going to be a blowout to the Canes but the Chiefs take advantage, they make a shift Damien McKenzie moves to fullback and it seems like they reap the rewards of this one. Yeah, this is where my week of awful, awful tipping began I had the Hurricanes by 23 not scoring only 23 and certainly not the Chiefs being within shouting distance of them um, but the Chiefs did made the most of their opportunities and, and McKenzie at the back at it always seemed to be um, the better spot for him, just giving that little bit of extra space and, and getting the ball out, out a little bit wider. Um, he can do so much with it, and and he's still got that crisp passing, which when it lands, it, it, it can be sort of that line-breaking opportunity. You can, you can fling it square across the field and, and pick up the winger, and, and suddenly the guy's away. Um, which was sort of useful at 10, but when he was getting pressured, he just really didn't have anyone to pass, so he'd have to run it himself. So, um, but they, no, they were very good. The Hurricane boards really lifted to compete with the Chiefs. The the backs were very good, but the Chiefs held them out. Marty McKenzie was impressive. It's I, I think they probably found their 10 for the rest of the season in him, and I think his combination with his brother is really great as well. I mean, it's a bit hard on Jack Debrasini after he came on last week and scored a try, and you thought maybe... He would get a look in in that starting 10 role, but now he's not even on the bench. I think he picked up maybe a, a small injury. but It was actually um, illness, apparently, that ruled him out of this one. So okay. hopefully that may I'd mean that he's I'd say he probably wouldn't still... have started. I reckon he could have. I reckon they would have put you him reckon? on after what he did the weekend before. He definitely changed their fortunes yeah. and maybe convinced them that they need to change at 10. But yeah, after yeah. Marty's performance on last week, I don't know if they'd really move that away because obviously... He did seem to fit into that role really well. It's a bit of cruel luck there, I think, because, yeah, it could have been his opportunity against the Canes to do really well, and now he's missed out on that and just takes one week, and then suddenly there's a bit of momentum behind another player. And we know Marty McKenzie's a good player. He was a good player at the Crusaders, mm-hmm. and he probably hasn't had enough opportunities at the Chiefs, really. He's been in and out of the team a lot, but um, obviously overshadowed by his brother. But I think their combination together and... You know, you bring in guys like Leonard Brown and Alamalo, and I think they've still, you know, got a fair bit of potential there. It's just, you know, 
I, I think it's got a lot to do with the coaching at the moment, and I think there's probably a little bit of unrest within the, the team itself. But against the Hurricanes team that is a, a stellar team, probably one of the top three teams of competition at the moment, holding them to a draw after you've lost you know, four or five in a row, mm. um, it's a pretty good effort. You know, you can't really dispute that. Hopefully this kind of brings you know, a bit more confidence back to the Chiefs because they're good to watch. Like, it was a great mm. game to watch, I found. Well, it's it's not just the backs and that. I think their forwards really stood up a lot more and their scrum was potent. Um, having sort of the likes of Harrison Nepalala back in the front row really helped, as well as having Allardyce joining Retallick back in the second row really seems to shore things up. And when you've got Retallick, Allardyce and Ardron all on the field at the same time, they're three very big men with high work rates and they take good carries and are very physical as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's the other note I took from this game was Retallick and Ardron were huge and, and just big big bodies, big personalities imposing themselves on the Hurricanes. If you're going to find a weakness, it'd be in their forwards. And I don't think it was a huge disparity between the two sides, but those two guys are so visible and, again, driving their team along and making big tackles and turnovers at the right times. We, we just um, kept the Chiefs in this, really gave the, gave those backs a chance to fire. And Mitch Carpick, he's got to be like the Manus Schumann of of New Zealand, right? And he's just like <laughs> just because he's blonde this random dude with weird hair. I don't know. They've kind of like like look like they've got the same body shape, same height, same hair. They play in a similar way as well. It's kind of weird, but um, you know, effective. And I think Sam Kane coming back, obviously, whenever that is, I think the Chiefs will get a massive boost from that. So um, yeah, I mean, you want to talk a bit about the Hurricanes? I think um, probably not completely on their game, but you had guys like Tietier at the back, really impressing again. He's a dynamic player. Like To keep Geordie Barrett out of that 15 position, you've got to be playing well, and he was really impressive. He was excellent. Tietier was great, and there was one pass through to Houston um, on the wing, which was just insane. Like, like that, He made that massive line break, mm. took, drew, the, drew the fullback, and then just threw the perfect pass out to Houston to score, and yeah, no, he, he really impressed me. Probably another candidate for Player of the Week. He was very yeah, visible, true, and yeah. like you said, in a, in a in a in a backline of potential All Blacks and and star Super Rugby players, um, he's standing out to me. And um, I think they'd be much happier with him at the back uh, than Geordie. Geordie can inject off the wing. He's looked a bit on and off, hot and cold this week this season. Mm-hmm. TT is really holding them together at the back, playing a good, not just playing a good. Uh, attacking uh, weapon, but just an all-round fullback. He's he's doing a really great job, and he's he runs a bit like he reminds me of Billy, Billy Slater the way he carries the ball. Like he kind of got that bit of that hunch, and he's just mm. so quick off the mark. Just so much potential there. And uh, again, another guy that's come out of nowhere for New Zealand rugby. That you think, okay, if he put this kind of performance every game this season, he might even feature in that All Black squad. It's just. Seems like they just need one or two years, these guys, to come out of the, the NPC or, or wherever they are and they, they get their opportunities and they run with it. And I can't say the same about most of the Australian players. It's um, It probably speaks to the quality of the competition underneath Super Rugby in New Zealand. They just have that real quality there and they have multiple years to, to play lots of games in the in the NPC and, and then they're almost Super Rugby ready. They come into these teams that are already so strong they have room to bring in a debutant and and set them up to succeed. Whereas the, I don't think the Australian teams have been strong enough in recent history that you can bring in a debutant 
put them in a key role like fullback, and and they flourish because they just they're just another player under pressure because the senior players aren't carrying enough of the load to mm. allow them to warm up into the into that level of game. Yeah, just, they've got Karifi and they've got Tiatia, and they're both doing a similar thing. Just you know, straight from the start of the season, they just seem to have that quality about. Well, the Hurricanes definitely look like they've turned a corner from what we saw sort of during the start of the year, and definitely will be successful and will challenge a lot of teams. But the Chiefs look like they might just be sort of the dark horses and just upset a few different teams now that if they're starting to get their groove back. Um, their, their, their schedule still doesn't get any easier. They're heading to Pretoria next week to face a Bulls team that's just had a week off. So it'll be still a very tough, tough ask for them to, to try and find their first win of the season yet. And the final game that we can talk about is the Stormers and Hagiwaros, and that was on Saturday early morning our time. And once again, this team of the Stormers, I mean, I think they actually remind me a little bit of the Waratahs because... They do have the talent and the big names all throughout their team, but then they continually don't stand up. But then at some point they can just flick a switch like they did in this game and they win this one 35-8, a bonus point win, and see a Khaleesi really pulling his big boys together four tries to one. And the Haguaros just don't seem to be able to deal with this. And you guys both picked the Haguaros, am I right? Yeah. Yeah, I got on the Stormers. I kind of I couldn't go away from them at home. I think the Haguaros just still don't tour that well. So yeah, I mean, but yeah, I, the Stormers are just a funny team, and I I don't know if they're going to be that successful towards the latter end of the season. But at the moment, they seem to be winning these tight tussles against the the people in their conference, the teams in their conference, um, which is obviously very important. It's just whether. If they go on tour now, when they go to New Zealand and Australia, can they actually get any of these wins? I think um, they're going to be have to be playing at their very best to actually compete with some of the New Zealand teams. I'm not sure that they're really top class yet, but they do enough. Um, and looking throughout their team, they have built some quite strong combinations from last year. There are still quite a few of those guys who have been firing over the last few seasons. And when you've got Khaleesi leading them around, like you said, Arch, like they just seem to go to another level. So... You know, you've got to you got to take your hat off to them. They're they're getting these wins, and um, some of these opposition, they're kind of we're undervaluing them. I think they're probably a team that's um, I just think maybe unfashionable at the moment. Um, but yeah, they they seem to be just getting it done. So, what can you say? Storms are just so frustrating that they can be so so on and so off, and and I guess the Haguaros might be the complement to that. That when they're on tour last year, they were really strong. This year. They've, they haven't been weak, but um, maybe just be a bit inconsistent on tour, but a few sort of played movements. And mm-hmm. um, this, this game was always going to be possible to pick. I don't think I would have picked the scoreline either way, even given a you know choice, narrow, narrow win for either or big win for either. I wouldn't have picked this. Yeah, the, the Hags just don't seem to be able to gain any momentum at the moment. I mean, they, they go now to have a week off, which is probably good, but... 20 turnovers conceded in this one, which is the top of all teams in the round. And I think they potentially, they need to simplify their game. They're so used to having Sanchez weaving like a magic web around defences with clever little kicks and grubbers and cut balls to unlock sort of these backline. But I don't know if Benilla's quite able to do that. They potentially need to, as I said, simplify and maybe play off the halfback a bit more. You've got people like Landerho and Cabelli that are sort of veterans of the game and 
you've still got this really big, potent forward pack. People like Matera, uh, Otega Desio in the back row that are really good carriers of the ball and maybe they just need to keep it in close a little bit longer and, and push through sort of that tight sort of middle area of the field before they sort of try and swing it wide to their... Because we know their wingers and fullback and stuff, they can finish. They can finish really well. But they just... I don't know whether they're just pushing that a little bit too early in these games. Mm. I mean, the bike couldn't have come at a better time for them, really. And then they get the Chiefs the week after that. So, I mean, there's still potential for their season to to finish on a good note, I guess. But it's... um. Yeah, it's funny. They're still that erratic team, and we thought maybe at the start of the season, maybe they'd turn that around a little bit. But I think you're right. Bringing in a new playmaker and having to make some adjustments in that area, I think just one when they're away from home, they don't deal with things so well. And um, there's still those a few of those errors creeping into their game that that we were hoping they kind of iron out. Hundred mm, percent. So that's that's pretty much all the games we can talk about. Uh, as we said earlier, Highlanders Crusaders cancelled. Both teams taking two points um, in light of the events over the weekend in any case. Um, let's go and have a chat about the other massive games that happened over the weekend and the Six Nations. And this was absolutely immense. Um, Italy versus France was the first and probably least sort of exciting of all those. A bit of a error-riddled game and Italy valiant effort here to try and sort of score in that last 10 minutes to potentially get an upset. But France taking this one 25 to 14 and stopping Italy from their first Six Nations win since 2015. Yeah, so I wasn't paying attention to this game too much, and I thought, you know what, France should put plenty on them, but Italy actually had a bit of fight there. So it's good to see them, um, you know, really trying to the end of this competition, but I don't think they've got a win now in the last three or four years. So we're going to have to wait and see what they do with this, you know, Nations Championship or whatever they're talking about with that and whether... They change up the format of the Six Nations, or whether they come from, you know, a relegation system or something like that. But Italy's still really struggling um, mm. overall. Um, but yeah, like obviously the other two games were the two important ones, and Wales really just controlled this game against Ireland again. And the fact that the last game wasn't, you know, the Six Nations wasn't on the line for the England game was a little bit, you know, it was sad in some ways, but. We got a terrific one in that one as well because Scotland fought back and for a moment there you thought they were going to break that drought at Twickenham and, and get a win over the English. But again, England find a way and they scored in the last minute to, to lock that up at 38 all. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, you had that Wales-Ireland game which was absolute dominance by Wales from the second minute when Anscombe masterminded a little chip kick for Hadley Parks to score and then just kept knocking over penalties and what hit seven from seven. Um, off the mm. tee in this one um, just to absolutely dominate and that Welsh defence was amazing holding out the Irish for 82 minutes before they managed to score as opposed mm. to that England-Scotland game which was a huge I mean everyone thought that England were going to come out and smash Scotland and in the first half an hour that's exactly what they did uh, put in four tries 31 points ahead and then just as England started to relax like suddenly you have the Scottish captain, McAnally, getting a charge down the hooker, running 60 metres and outrunning Johnny May and Farrell to spark the Scots sort of coming back in this one. Yeah, and that's what made it exciting because everyone, well, the pub I was at was behind Scotland for the most part um, as underdogs, obviously, and because the game was a bit of a dead rubber, it was more we wanted to see Scotland beat England because that doesn't happen that often. 
but the way they fought back was just tremendous and they were just getting that momentum and you could really feel it swing against England. But yeah, it, it wasn't to be, which is unfortunate. But I think, you know, obviously the main stars of the weekend were Wales and getting a grand slam against some really quality opposition in Ireland and England. You've got to actually put it in context. They've done so well. Um, they came second last year and now they've they've managed to win it. So if overall, if you're looking at it, I mean, that's 14 straight. I think they've won now. They've got the Wallabies in the their World Cup pool. Yeah, I'm I'm scared to I'm scared to face this team in the World Cup now. They're actually now second in the world. They've they've wow. climbed the rankings, so now they're the top European or top hemisphere team, uh, and then rightfully so. Like that, like you said, 14 wins, and you know they they showed early in the game uh, they got they got shaken up, they had to change their backline around a bit, and, and they just kept going. It just didn't look like it hurt them at all. So that's. That's the depth. That's the composure that you expect when you when you uh, talking about one of the top two sides in the world. That they've got a plan B if they need it, and they executed. And they've got a real strength of character. I think Gatlin's really instilled that over a number of years in this team. And they had to fight through some pretty poor weather. The the roof had to stay open because Ireland didn't agree for it to be closed. So the default position is for it to stay open there. So mm. I think Ireland were hoping that would you know, play out in their favour, but Wales's defence is just immense and it kind of, I guess, reminds me of our performance against Wales back in 2015 World Cup when we held them out, you know, for, what was it, 13 or 14 men, we held them out for such an extended period of time. You can't be taking Wales lightly. I know that in the past we haven't really anyway, but at the moment they're really performing. It's whether they peak too early, I think Ireland has. So it's whether Ireland peaking last year, they can bring it back towards the World Cup. Um, but it could be Wales that are a bit of a dark horse in terms of that World Cup spot, and can they knock the Wallabies off that number one position in the conference, in the pool? Yeah, it could definitely spell problems for us um, coming up against them early on in that, but so that is a long time away now, and these sort of Six Nation teams don't really have any other games, um, any uh, friendlies at least before that then, so they're a little bit stuck at the moment, and all these players are going to go back to their club teams and playing whether they're going to lose a little bit of this momentum and a little bit of the combinations uh for for the world cup at this point yeah i think they're playing some warm-up games in the months leading into the world cup but you're right it's still quite a big break you're probably still looking at five or six months of not playing internationals so probably the southern hemisphere teams in some ways it plays out in their favor that they've got a full Super Rugby season and then a full international season really leading into the World Cup. That's probably ideal for those Southern Hemisphere teams. Mm. So it's so whether you're right. Can they can they kind of keep that form? Can they manage that over the rest of this year? And it's going to probably come down to injuries as well because Wales do need those key guys there to actually be successful, I think. Yeah, definitely. Well, congratulations to Wales for winning the Grand Slam there. And and Scotland as well. Despite the draw, they still retain the Calcutta Cup. A uh, really nice thing for them to be able to take away from that game, even though they, they couldn't take the victory. Why don't we get into the round six of the Super Rugby and we'll get a few tips on the board here. Um, felt like a bit of a short week last week in any case, just with three round teams on by. Uh, we get back into a bit more of a full week with seven games again. And it starts off on Friday night. The Blues coming off their bye versus the Highlanders at Eden Park. Yeah, so both teams, no game in the previous week, but for different reasons. Uh, the Blues will be uh, rested and, and the Islanders team 
for a couple of weeks, but the Highlanders will be fresher than they would have been coming off the back of a Crusaders game and, and say that any one of those New Zealand teams is more motivated than the last, but I think the Highlanders probably got the the stock for this one. They've got the form. Uh, the Blues would be, I'd, even though they're at home, I'd be surprised if they stayed within a, tri- a converted try. Yeah, I think the Blues probably don't quite have the quality there in the forwards. I think that that's where the, the battle would be won, maybe, and these Highlanders, some of these back rowers in the Type 5, they've got really quality players. Um, and I think Josh Huani at 10, hopefully he's going to get the staff the Highlanders again. I just think they have a bit more direction. I'm, I'm worried a bit about the Highlanders-Centers combination, but I think overall you have Ben Smith there. If you have Aaron Smith and you have Josh Huani really directing them around well, I can see away from home. I think the Highlanders can do it. Yeah, I have to agree, boys. There's no no reason to doubt what the Highlanders have been doing. And they'll have people like Shannon Frizzola coming back into that forward pack after well, having now two weeks off. Um, but he's just been so immense. And I'll, I'll be watching him to see how he sort of faces up against sort of Akira Iwani in this one. Because I think they're two probably big names in the future of New Zealand rugby. Um, and see, see what that battle is. I, I expect it to be pretty fierce but the Highlanders to take it at the end there. I reckon it will be a little bit closer than you might expect in this one, uh, but definitely Highlanders to take it by about five. Next, we'll go on to Saturday afternoon, and the Hurricanes are back hosting in the Cape Tin, and the Stormers are coming to town, starting off on their tour, and it's probably one of the hardest places to start off your tour, coming to the Cape Tin in Wellington versus this Canes team that uh, by all by all accounts, look very dangerous in everything now. But Storm is carrying a bit of form. Yeah, I don't think it's going to matter for me. I think Canes are going to be relentless in this. I think this will probably be a bit of a wake up call for the Stormers and probably the first really high quality team that they've they've met. So um, I think Canes by twenty, maybe fifteen to twenty. Um, they're just yeah, they are, they have too much quality. I think across the park, they have too many points in them. I think the Stormers will battle hard, but I don't think that it'll be enough. Yeah, I have to agree. The Canes, Canes are definitely going to come out hard, and I think they'd probably be, be a little bit bitter about um, getting the draw last week. They would have expected to take the win, so might take it out on, on these guys from Cape Town. And Laomapi had a week off from try scoring, so surely he's going to want to get back into the fray this week. I think we asked a question on Instagram her how many he was going to score last week and no one gets lower than two so he has a few to make up this week but yeah Canes all the way yeah sweep it the the Hurricanes at home too strong South African team on tour um, especially as inconsistent as the Storms have been I'm not gonna not gonna back them and next coming out of the SCG again the Waratahs play their second game there and it's versus the Crusaders and it's a tough one for the Waratahs to try and bounce back against. And we'll see whether the turf has been fixed in the Sydney Cricket Ground. It looked all right for some of the league games over the weekend, but of course they don't have the same scrummaging and big sprigs going through that turf. And if that's the case, it may be, again, that the Waratahs don't need to worry too much about their scrum because it may just end up unplayable. But I doubt that'll make a massive difference to the overall scoreline here. You'd hope that the Waratahs put up a bit of a fight, but... I think it's fantasy to think that they're going to be able to come away with a win in this one. It's going to be one of these... Uh, I just have a few... I don't think the Waratahs win this game. I'll say that straight up. But it'll be the game that we least expect it. It'll finally all come together. 
um, and and they'll keep it close. They may uh, suffer a, a crushing defeat in the last few minutes with Chris Peters, uh, as always, scoring late in both halves. But it wouldn't surprise me if the Waratahs decide to turn up and actually make this a contest this week. Maybe it's just the, the you know knowing that you've got such quality opposition coming to town, uh, you'd hope that they can lift and, and get something right. And and if all they do is just relax and play their natural game, um, stop trying to force their hand. I still feel like they're trying to play to a script. They look mechanical and one-dimensional. I just want to see them relax. And I think that probably helps if Carmichael Hunt can get back in and, and push Beal back to fullback. I still want to see that back line in, in full. Yeah, look, I, they need that. I think if Carmichael plays, I think it's a lot closer. But the Waratahs continue to play so laterally and, and too deep. I think the, the Crusaders are just going to shut them down with some pretty quick line speed in defence. And... Similarly, if they don't, if we don't control our line speed in defence against the Crusaders, if we don't rush up and really shut them down, they're just going to open us up. So, um, I think this, the Waratahs at the moment out of form. I think the Crusaders should cruise through this one. Um, I, hopefully, they play their full strength team so that we actually get a really high quality matchup. But I think regardless, the Crusaders are going to are going to take this game, and it may just signal a bit of a you know, a bit of a floundering Waratahs season coming up, I think, because they need to make some significant changes pretty quickly. Does Foley start this game? Yeah, no doubt. I think he starts. I think they back him. I don't think you can take him out at this stage, but another bad performance. Who do they have the, the week after? They've got the Sunwolves. That's probably somewhere where you could start Mac Mason if you if you would kind of desperate to give him some game time and give Foley a rest. I think Waratahs at home playing the Sunwolves, good opportunity for Mac Mason to come in and, and get some game time. So I don't think it'll happen this week. Yeah, we'll definitely, I reckon, see some tough questions starting to be asked of Daryl Gibson um, what, if they have a similarly disappointing performance this weekend. Um, speaking of Sunwolves, they are in Singapore and they're hosting the Lions and Tough one to pick here, Wolves v Lions. They play a very similar type of game. Yeah, I think the Lions will have this one. The Sun Wolves will bring a strong team, strong lineup at home. I think the Lions probably have the the class, so I'm tipping the Lions. Yeah, give me the Lions. I think that'll be a pretty erratic affair. I think they'll chuck the ball around a fair bit. I'm liking more and more the look of this Sun Wolves team, but I think particularly because it's in Singapore as well, I think that helps the Lions. It's a little less trouble for them. Um, there doesn't seem to be any sort of atmosphere in that stadium in Singapore from previous weeks. So it's almost like it's going to be a bit of a neutral venue for both teams. I think it's um, going to play out in the Lions' favour, and I think it could be a high-scoring game. could see a 50-point, I think, 50-pointer from the, maybe from the Lions, and Sunwolves, I'd say, would score a few as well, but give me the Lions. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna hold off because I'm thinking about taking the Sunwolves here, but I'd like to see what the what teams they're starting to put up. I think you're right if the Lions put out their strongest team and potentially have Kutsi, um coming back into the starting team, they're probably going to be a little bit too strong. But Sunwolves, well, I mean, every time, every week they bring out new players, as you said, Toby, so they might just bring enough that they'll convince me to tip them in this one. Um, next one up is... Loftus and Bulls taking on the Chiefs and as we said the Chiefs schedule more and more difficult as they take on the leaders of the South African conference at home. My thoughts are that this game will actually 
be a bit close. I think the Chiefs will fire up. I actually think they'll really take it to the Bulls. Um, but given the Bulls have had that week off, really a lot of time to prepare for this Chiefs team that's probably a little run down um, and they've got to deal with the travel over to South Africa, you'd have to think that the Bulls come in as favourites and I think rightly so. I'd probably take them by about 10 points, but I think the Chiefs will fight hard and hopefully you know, try and, if they can draw with the, with the Hurricanes, hopefully they can get close to the Bulls as well. Yeah, I, I think after after last week, signs of life from the Chiefs, and if they stick with these conditions that they've set up um, against the Hurricanes, I think this one could be really close. I, I'm, I, I think the Bulls will win it, but this is the sort of game, it's a bit of a sort of an upset of the week sort of thing. Boys, I think you guys are just suffering a little bit and you're just taking one week from the Chiefs doing something good and trying to extrapolate that into winning in South Africa versus the best team. I think the Bulls are going to have their measure here. They've got the bigger forwards um, and they've got the silkier, faster backs, I think, out wide. I reckon the Bulls are going to be in front early and you'll see Andre Pollard continue to put over penalties in this game and continue to extend the lead, but it probably means the Bulls get ahead here by sort of 15 or more. Next, we have the Rebels taking on the Sharks, and that's down at Durban. And for myself, I think that the Rebels should be able to take this one. We've seen the Sharks being a bit on and off. They've lost at home uh, this year already, and they don't seem to really be having the passion and the anger that sort of was fueling them last year when people were writing them off early. People thought they'd be good in this competition, and they're not quite living up to it. And we saw what the Rebels did last time, and as I said, they, they should be able to put that together again, and Wessels can motivate his team to, to take take a win in this tour. Another tricky one being the Sharks have had a week off, um, but I'm sticking with the Rebels, just I've got faith that they could have done it last week, they let it slip. If they can do the same thing this week, they won't let it slip. Yeah, I think they'll take a lot out of that game against the Lions, and they come down to sea level, which I think, again, is important. Another week to acclimatise in South Africa. Maybe the Sharks show a little bit of rust coming off the bye. Um, but I think, yeah, the Rebels are poised here to win this game. I think it'll still be quite a tight tussle. I don't think that they're going to run all over the Sharks because the Sharks have some really good players. But, yeah, I think the Rebels just seem like they've they've got the confidence and I think they're backing themselves um, need a really dominant controlling performance by Quaid again and just to cut out those silly errors that can creep into his game. So I think Rebels, um, but I think it'll be one of the best games to watch of the week as well. Yeah, I agree. Definitely one of the, the highlights, and that's coming in at 2 a.m. on Sunday morning. So, oh. yeah, but so I won't be getting too much oh, sleep I'm myself. Watch. But... It's all right, 3 o'clock in the afternoon for me. Perfect, thank you. <laughs> uh, the benefits of living in the UK, it seems. And the last game of the round is the Queensland Reds hosting the Brumbies on a Sunday afternoon. Always love a Sunday afternoon game. Best way to end your weekend. And Suncorp's going to play host to these two. And ooh, it's going to be a tough one because the Reds haven't tasted success for a while versus the Brumbies. And I think they're, they're going to be waiting a little while longer because this Brumbies team look like they're firing. Yeah, Arch, I agree. I think the Brumbies will still be too strong. Um, look, there's been a little bit of changes with the team lists in the last couple of weeks, so I possibility of change of mind, but I think the Brumbies are in a good position so far this season, holding up near the top of the table. They need to go up there and, and show, the Reds, show the Reds how to be a, um, a consistent professional team, and the Reds will probably be a bit tired from their, from the trip over to Tokyo and the celebration too, I'm sure. 
Yeah, I really think these two teams are going to absolutely bash each other because there's a lot of fringe Wallaby selections there within these two, particularly forward packs. And I think there's some guys that are really looking to stand up and, and show their, their merits for the international season. Um, and the Reds, that's the type of game they play. And the Brumbies do have some of these big ball carriers that can hit hard as well. So I think it's going to be a really physical affair. I think the Brumbies probably have the class to take it. They're a bit bit more mature in their approach and I think Christian playing well, they can kind of take control of this game. But the Reds are feisty and you really can't rule them out. So I think it's a tough one to tip, but I'd put, I'd be taking the Brumbies. Yeah, got to agree. But you, you're going to love seeing what Karevi does against his uh, probably biggest rival in TK, Kurundrani in the 13 jersey and the other side. Um, at the moment, I think Karevi's still doing more than what Kurundrani has been. I think he's still been standing up and probably surrounded by a bit of lacklustre compared to what Kurundrani's been surrounded by about the likes of Tom Banks and things. But you're right, I think I think the Brumbies forwards will have too much go-ahead. Please, can someone learn how to defend them all correctly? The Waratahs once stood off and did it last weekend where Kepu went around and just tackled him, worked perfectly, completely diffused it. So if the Reds can't learn something from that, then I think they're going to suffer a few tries coming from the Brumbies Mall. Yeah, you tipped it up. Good, good tactic. So let's let's go for a quick update in the second last round of the Super W. And this weekend we had Queensland taking on the Brumbies uh, out from Ballymore, and it was a bit of a grind, and only only coming away with 12 points in the whole game, but it was 12 on the side of the Queensland Reds with Cecilia Smith getting the double and being the difference in this. Brumbies a valiant effort here, but... Unable to capitalise on chances, um, despite some really solid defence here, but it leaves us sort of with a two-horse races, what we thought for the final series here, and that's backed up by the New South Wales team, who were off in Western Australia, but didn't matter to them. They won this one 31 to nil, and La Pepe with the double in this one, and another strong showing from Grace Hamilton and Shanice Parker, um, really taking the New South Wales women from, from strength to strength, and It's going to be really tough to stop them in this competition. Next week, and it's a bit of a formality with the final round before finals, um, the Tars are taking on the Rebels, which uh, unfortunately is probably not going to be very enjoyable for the Rebels um, ladies on on Saturday at 3pm, while the Brumbies are taking on Western Australia, and that's over in Western Australia as well. So that's probably going to be the far sort of more competitive game, but at the moment it's probably more deciding the third spot with the first two sort of locked up. But definitely be looking forward to a, a good final series and probably what we'll see another New South Wales Queensland derby. The only other thing that we should mention is this weekend will mark the first uh, global rapid rugby sort of showcase tour in this World 15 versus the Western Force. Um, some notable inclusions in the World 15 squad. Uh, we've yet to see the starting team, but names such as White Crockett, Corey Flynn, Nick Cummins, the Honey Badger, makes his return. And G.L. Aplon from South Africa as well, um, as well as those names we mentioned before, Digby Iwani and Andy Ellis. Yeah, I think really interesting to see this, and obviously not just because of some of the, the old familiar names that are going to be popping up. Um, yeah, I think the, the new rules will be interesting to observe how that kind of affects the game and whether it really has a profound impact or not. Um, but yeah, hopefully you see some really exciting rugby, plenty of tries, um, who knows, the Honey Badger hopefully still fit in meat pies, I think, because he'd be desperate to, to make an impression 
Um, you never know, he could be playing in this global rapid rugby competition next year for one of the Asian teams or something if it's not the fourth. So I think a lot of players will be kind of showing they've still got it, even though they're probably, you know, past their prime. Um, and, yeah, I think it's a, a good thing for the game. More rugby, like we've talked about before, um, is good. And then the force obviously getting their opportunity to um, to play and, and showcase some of the players that they've been developing over the last couple of years. So, yeah, it's all good. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, definitely be interesting to tune in and see how these sort of different laws um, really, really show out and whether they do sort of make a huge difference in this game. Um, but definitely uh, one to keep an eye out. Should be broadcast, I believe, on public television um, for this one, but I've yet to actually see the actual details of that. Um, but hopefully it means we get a lot of, lot of the Western Australian um, fans going out there to watch this and a lot of the Joe public to tune in as well. Yeah, 100%. But that's pretty much all we need to touch on this week, I think. So a lot of really good games to watch. Unfortunately, it's not the best hours for a few of these ones. But um, hopefully people get a little bit of sleep this weekend. But plenty of rugby to cram in in the waking hours as well. I can't wait to see what these players do and finish off my weekend with a Sunday afternoon derby from the Brumbies and the Reds. Should be a really exciting one, eh, Tobes? Yeah, mate, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to try and get as many games in as I can. Obviously, it's a bit easier for me. Um but yeah, it kind of takes up most of my Saturday by the time I switch on early and just watch all the way through the afternoon. So, But not a, not a bad way to spend your time. Definitely not at all. I can't wait. Um, but thanks for tuning in, guys. As always, um, stay tuned to our Instagram and Facebook. Uh, that's at Running Rugby Podcast and on Twitter at Running Rugby Pod. You'll see all the lineups go up there and participate in some of the week's questions and polls that we pop up there as well. Some really good stuff's coming through those as well. Um, subscribe as always on Apple Podcasts, Spotify uh, and Google Play and we really love hearing what you guys think about the show so don't be afraid to reach out to us boys, that's all from us this week, keep on running